continuing our journey through the book of Acts, uh, starting at chapter 9, verse 32 today. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralysed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please, come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of the Lord come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, had, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a giant sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. 
what is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well known of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. Um, The next day, he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear what you've all been command, what all that you've been commanded by the Lord. So, Peter opened his mouth and said, "Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him." As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he asked him to remain for some days. This is God's word to us today. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for the way that you have brought us to yourself. The way that you, your grace is boundless. 
uh, that you truly are the God who is inclusive, uh, that undeserving sinners that all of us are uh, can find a place in your family, um, in your grace, in your love, uh, because of the limitless work of Jesus. And so, Father, as we come to, to this passage today, please help us uh, by your Spirit uh, to understand uh, the, the glory of your boundless grace uh, and the powerful, limitless work of your Son. Uh, and in knowing that, that we might see truly that the gospel is for everyone. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The gospel is for everyone, right? It's the title of today's sermon. Uh, but I wonder whether we really believe that or not. I wonder whether we really believe that or not. Uh, because aren't there people whom we consider, uh, we wouldn't ever consider sharing the gospel with? Right? People who we think are just too far out of reach. Too far out of reach. Uh, the Malay barber that I had back in Singapore when I was in national service, um, he would stop cutting his hair the moment that his alarm went off for his prayers. So devout a Muslim was he, uh, that he would stop, right, mid-cut, and he would get down on his knees and he would bow, right, towards Mecca. Uh, some people we know are just so, so very religious and devout in their own religion. Uh, maybe they're, they're people that we shouldn't preach the gospel to. Or, or maybe it's the ashe, right? I've learned this new word since my, my kids have gone to school. The ashe, I'm not sure what we call them in our time, uh, or the school bully. Uh, maybe it's the profanity-laden, sex-obsessed, rich kid, uh, university jock. Or the LGBTQI activist leading the protest outside the Christian school. Or, or the twice-divorced, high-flying private banker, absolutely living the high life and the dream. Or maybe it's the single mom with three kids from three fathers. Right? Who is it that we kind of feel like the gospel is just out of reach? Aren't there people we, we know and we just think, I'm not, the, I'm not sure that the gospel is for them. Is it really okay? Is it really okay for me to preach the gospel to them? Now, I know I have, and I know many of you probably have as well, isn't it? That there are people that we know of that are in our lives, that we see out in the world, that we think the gospel isn't for them. Now, our passage today speaks a powerful word to us, I think in this space. It marks a massive turning point in history, right, in human history. In our history books, you'll, you'll never see Acts chapter 9 and 10 uh, as a crucial moment for, for human history, but I think it truly is one of the great, if not the greatest, turning point for human history. You see, without these events in this passage, I wouldn't exist as a Christian, and neither would you. SLE Church wouldn't have been started, right, 50 years ago or whatever it was. Right, without these events, uh, there would be no church in America or in Europe or, or in Africa or in Australia, in Malaysia, Singapore, Korea, Japan, anywhere. Right, there would be no Christianity anywhere in the world without the events of this passage. This is the turning point that shows that God is committed to the global growth of His gospel. Now, this history-defining turning point shows us that God's grace knows no bounds. Right, the gospel is indeed for everyone. Why? Because Jesus' work knows no limits. Jesus is Lord of all. He alone brings forgiveness and salvation to all who believe in His name. That's right, so what we see in this passage. But let's start first with the end part of chapter 9, right? Where we, we have titled this section, uh, Peter's 
uh, ministry hits a wall. I'll turn on my clicker. Here we go. Peter's ministry hits a wall. Now, when you read this passage, uh, it doesn't sound like Peter's ministry hits a wall, does it? It sounds like a weird title for this section. Because if you've been reading from Acts chapter 1, you'll be very familiar with what's going on at the end of chapter 9 here. Right? Peter is the spirit-filled apostle right, doing the work of Jesus. And then we see Aeneas, a paralyzed man of eight years, he's healed. And then Tabitha, uh, a woman who fell ill and died, is raised from the dead. Peter is doing what Jesus himself did. If you were to go back to Luke, right, which is uh, Luke's first uh, book, Acts is Luke's second book, if you go to Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8, you'll see the exact same things that Jesus did, the same signs, right, healing a lame man and raising someone from the dead. Uh, if you go back to Luke 5, you'll see that he raised a paralyzed man to show that he had the power, the authority to forgive sins. And when Jesus raised a, a dead woman, uh, it showed that he had the power over death, the power to save. And so Peter, filled with the Spirit, continues the ministry of Jesus in performing signs and preaching forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. And then all the, the residents in, in these towns here, Lydda and Sharon, who saw the healed paralytic, uh, they came to, the, to faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, and all those in Joppa who had heard about the raising of Tabitha, uh, they believed in the Lord. Now, so after this point, things are great, aren't they? They are really, really great. The mission given to the Spirit-filled apostles is being fulfilled. Remember the mission? It's back in chapter 1, verse 8. This is the key verse, isn't it, of the whole book of Acts. Uh, we see that the gospel has indeed gone out, as Jesus said it would, through spirit-powered apostles, uh, beginning in Jerusalem, and then into all Judea, and then to Samaria. And that's what we've seen happening up to this point in the past few chapters. And in this passage, the gospel has gone out past the outer edges of Judea. I didn't put up a map here to show you where Lydda and Sharon and Joppa are, but they are on the outskirts, right, of Judea. Uh, they're not Jewish towns, uh, but they were towns that were deeply influenced by the Greeks and the Romans. Uh, Aeneas and Tabitha, as locals of these towns, had Greek names and upbringing, but they were definitely Jews, right? Seeing how Peter had no issues going into their house and interacting with them, in contrast to what we'll see in chapter 10. Right? These people were Jews. And here is where Peter hits the wall. And this is where the gospel seems to hit a wall. You see, the final step to Jesus' mission is what? Right? It's to the ends of the earth, to, to the place far beyond the Jews, beyond even the half-Jew Samaritans, to what the Jews call all non-Jews, which is... Gentiles, right, Gentiles. Now, we simply cannot understand, I think, Scripture properly, and in this passage in particular, unless we understand the massive social-religious divide, the gulf that exists between Jews and all non-Jews, Gentiles. Now, to help, us make, uh, to help us really get this, let me read a quote uh, from John Stott, a theologian, who makes this really clear. Uh, it is difficult for us to grasp the impassable gulf which yawned in those days between the Jews on the one hand and the Gentiles, including even God-fearers, on the other. Israel twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism, became filled with racial pride and hatred, despised Gentiles as dogs, and developed traditions which kept them apart. No Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile, even a God-fearer, 
or invite such into his home. On the contrary, all familiar interaction with Gentiles was forbidden. And no pious Jew would, of course, have sat down at the table of a Gentile. You see that the gulf that exists between the Jew and the Gentile is greater than between New South Wales and Queensland, right, during State of Origin. Greater than between North and South Korea. Greater than between Ukraine and Russia. Right, that gulf is even greater than all those. And we see evidence of this uh, with Peter. Uh, Peter himself, as we go on to see chapter 10 later on, he needed divine preparation, right? He needed a vision from God, uh, repeated over and over, for him to be ready to even receive the Gentile men sent by, the Gentile centurion Cornelius. And, and, it, and when he enters the house of, of, of Cornelius, what did he say, right? In verse 28, chapter 10, verse 28, you yourselves know how unlawful, how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. Right? Peter was very, very familiar and clear about the Jewish-Gentile divide. Now, Acts 10 then is here to show us that God's grace knows no bounds. Right? Peter might have hit his limit, but God's grace knows no bounds. Now, the story in chapter 10 is really rather comical uh, when you think about it. Right, we were first introduced to Cornelius, uh, the centurion from Caesarea. Now, he's clearly a Gentile, right? Uh, he's a Roman a commander of the Italian cohort living in Caesarea, literally the city of Caesar. Um, it's the capital city, uh, city um, of the Roman province of Judea. Now, he's a really God-fearing and godly man, right? The, the, the description of, of, of uh, Cornelius is just great. And at the ninth hour of the day, which is 3 p.m., uh, he's probably saying his afternoon prayers, and he receives a vision. And he's told, uh, send men to Joppa, right, to go get Peter. And immediately he does as he's told. Now, the next day, uh, while the men are on their way to Peter's house, uh, Peter is in his midday prayers on the sixth hour, and he starts to feel a little bit hungry, a bit peckish. Uh, while waiting for his food to be served, uh, his blood sugar probably drops a bit too much. He gets rather drowsy, and he falls into a trance. Now, I love it, right, that this detail is here in the Bible. I'm so glad uh, that it's here because if someone like Peter, right, can feel hungry and then fall asleep while he's praying, well, then I can, and you can too, right? Um, now, just like a, I guess a quick note about falling asleep at church, you know, when you start nodding off as you're, you know, listening and praying at church. The problem with nodding and praying at church is if the preacher says, right, who will serve at kids' church? And you're like, yes, I will. <laughs> Right, who will give more money? Yeah. <laughs> who will go to Afghanistan to be a missionary? Uh, yes, please. So don't fall asleep, all right? Because I might ask you to commit something, and you have to give it. All right, anyway, Peter, he's in a trance, and he's told to eat food. Right, a giant picnic mat that kind of covers all of us. The whole world comes down, filled with every imaginable kind of meat that you can think of. Uh, and I'm imagining on there would be lamb shanks, uh, beef cheeks, char siu, siu yo, roast duck, salt and pepper, quail, barramundi, tuna, unagi, uh, uni, it's all there. I started to feel hungry. I don't feel hungry. Oh, when I preach this in the second service, they're going to go crazy, right? Because it's like 12 something. <laughs> now for us, this dream would have been a wonderful dream, right? It would have been a wonderful dream. If I'm dreaming this morning, uh, I'd be so happy when I wake up, right? And I'll go look for the next yam cha, right, to go to. But for Peter, 
For Peter, an, an absolute nightmare, this dream would have been, an absolute nightmare. You see, so much of these meats are completely unacceptable for a Jew to eat. But he's told to eat, like verse 14. He's told to eat, but Peter refuses. By no means, Lord, Peter says. Now, by the way, by no means, and the word Lord should never exist in the same sentence, right? In our vocabulary. Can you imagine saying God, by no means? But like an Asian grandma, God insists, right? Eat. Say, yeah, right? Eat more, right? Eat more. Three times, eat Peter. Eat Peter. Eat Peter. Now, if you know Peter at all, he needs to be told at least three times, isn't it, before he does stuff. <laughs> now, meanwhile, while all this is happening, Cornelius' men arrive. Uh, the Spirit tells Peter to go with them, and so on the next day, he does. But you get the feeling that Peter isn't really too keen about this. And he still doesn't really know what's going on, right? He's got this dream. He hasn't really got the interpretation for it. He just knows he's got to go, and so he goes. Uh, you, you have to know that something like this has never happened to Peter before. He's a devout Jew who has never entered into a home of a Gentile, let alone a Gentile centurion. This is completely weird for Peter and uncomfortable. But it gets a bit stranger because the very first thing that happens as he enters into Cornelius' house with, filled with all of his family and friends is that they, uh, Cornelius bows at his feet, worshipping him as God. Now, Peter's discomfort level is probably at a maximum at this point. And so he speaks up. Have a look at verse 28. Verse 28. And Peter said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was called for, sent for, I came without objection. I asked you then, why have you sent for me? All right? Now, you wonder what kind of tone Peter spoke with. Uh, positive, with excitement, you know. Uh, you just know, but God told me to come, so I'm here. Or do you think he was perplexed and, and begrudging and maybe even a bit resentful that he's here in this dirty dog home of a Gentile? No, I think it's the latter, right? I think it's the latter. I, I shouldn't be here, but I'm here because God told me to. So tell me... Why am I here? Can you kind of hear the resentment in his voice? I think it's there, right? It's only when Cornelius explains his vision, then only Peter gets it. Have a look at 30 to 33, right? I'll summarize what he says. He basically, Cornelius says, right, an angel told me to send for you, so I sent for you at once. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord to preach. It finally clicks to Peter, ah, that's why I'm here. I'm here to preach the gospel. Now, in the midst of all the drama and comedy, we, we clearly see that this is all God's story, isn't it? This is all of God. We see that God has gone out of his way to show that this is all from him, of him. Firstly, we see divine intervention at every step of this story. An angel of God a vision from God, the voice of God, the Spirit speaks. Right? God is divinely driving this story. And then we see deliberate repetition, deliberate repetition to give divine clarity. Right? Go to Simon Peter in Joppa, staying with Simon the Tanner, who is by the sea. He says it three times over. 
Very clear person, very clear place. Go. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Three times. What God has made clean, do not call common. Three times. Repetition, make it clear. Right, what God wants Cornelius and Peter to do. Then we see apostolic authority, right? Apostolic authority. Peter, remember, he is the chief apostle, the rock that Jesus said he would build his church upon. Now, how many of you were here last week? Right? I think many of you were. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 31, we, we heard about the conversion of Saul, right? The great apostle Paul, the one commissioned to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And then from, from Acts chapter 13 onwards, right, which is the passage we, we won't be covering, or we'll end our series just before we get to Paul, but from Acts 13 onwards, it's pretty much all Paul and the mission to the ends of the earth. But you see, the Gentile mission really begins with Peter. Right? The Gentile mission begins with Peter, the leader of the apostles. The history-defining turning point of Gentile inclusion begins with God's apostle Peter. Right, over and over, we hear Peter's name in this story. Right, 21 times in our passage today, the name Peter comes up. Now, every English teacher will get their red pen out at this point right, to start crossing out right, the extraneous number of Peters that are in this passage. And, and on the sidelines, the teacher would say, could you possibly use something else, a pronoun, a relative pronoun, something, anything else but the word Peter right, in this story? Too many times. Peter, 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 Peter. Why? This is the apostle of God. To show that this is God's doing, God's working. And what is it that God is trying to say? What is he saying? Well, God is saying, my grace knows no bounds. There is no partiality with God. Have a look at verse 34 to 35, because they are the key verses of this passage, of this section. Starting in the middle of verse 34. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. You see this Jew-Gentile divide, gulf? It doesn't exist with God. It doesn't exist in God's eyes. There is no one excluded, no one outside of the boundaries of God's grace. God shows no discrimination or favoritism in His offer of grace. Now, every phrase of verse 35 is crucial. Right? Every phrase. Every nation, every, any, anyone, no one is excluded. Who fears God, right? who regards God as God, who acknowledges and respects and honors God, and does what is right. Now, in the context of Acts, to do what is right is to believe in the Lord Jesus, is to turn to the Lord Jesus in faith. Right? If you read from Acts chapter 1, to do what is right is clearly about believing in Jesus. And so, everyone and anyone who fears God and trusts Jesus is acceptable to God. Now, the word acceptable here is the word for receive, uh, for welcome, to belong, to become a part of the family. You hear that, right? In every nation. From Australia to Zimbabwe, from Canada to China, India to Ireland, Mexico to Malaysia, Singapore to Senegal. Every nation, God's grace available to all. It's available to anyone. Rich or poor, 
upper or lower class, whatever caste, young or old, male or female, binary or non-binary, straight, gay, trans, single, married, divorced, widowed or deserted. God's grace available to all. Now, whatever work you do, accountant or butcher, plumber or politician, whether you're a student, you're a worker, or you're unemployed, regardless of our status, whether we're a prisoner or the prime minister, janitor or the general manager, whether we are abuser or abused, whether we're bully or bullied, whether we're persecutors like Paul or perfectly religious like Cornelius, God's grace is available to all. Whether you were previously a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Hindu or a free thinker or agnostic or an atheist. You see, wherever you have come from, whatever you used to believe, whoever you have been in the past, whatever or however you have lived, God shows no partiality. Absolutely none. Because if you fear Him and you trust Jesus, you will find forgiveness. You will be saved. Well, there is no more comforting and inclusive message than this. Now, all these other messages of inclusion that you can think of, there's always an exclusion criteria, but not with God. You see, God welcomes absolutely everyone. And the big, the big implication for us, first and foremost, is to praise God, isn't it? The first big implication is for us to praise God of all grace. Praise God for His glorious grace that knows no bounds. You see, without God's boundless grace, we are lost. Without, without it, Gentiles, we Gentiles, we Gentiles, we're not, there's no Jews here, is there? Is there any Jews here? No, right? We're all Gentiles. We wouldn't exist as believers, as recipients of God's grace. We wouldn't be the children of God. We would, we would never have God and we would never have hope in this life or the next if it weren't for what God does here in this passage. God's grace shows no, no, knows no bounds. And so we sit here today secure in His love, in His salvation as His children. Now God welcomes absolutely everyone. The question then is, do we welcome everyone? God shows no prejudice, but are we prejudiced? Do we discriminate? Now we do, don't we? We certainly discriminate. In all of life, discrimination in so many ways is the way we live. Now during the week, uh, on one of the, the many chat groups I'm in, uh, the Clay chat group, they didn't realize I was in that chat group, right? Until I piped up. Uh, Cam, Cameron and Marilyn, you know, they, they, they invited some of the Clayers over uh, to watch their beloved All Blacks play the Ireland team um, last night. Um, and they, uh, they were meant to come back from New Zealand uh, yesterday to be able to watch, but their flight got delayed, so they're not back, and so it didn't happen. But in this chat group, they invited people to come and to eat New Zealand chocolates that they specially hand-flown and brought in, right, for this match to watch together. Anyway, Joachim, he replies and he says, can I still come if I support Ireland? <laughs> wow, brave man. Uh, Marilyn replies, she says, sure, but no chockies for you. <laughs> Such discrimination right there, isn't it? Now, we treat people differently all the time, don't we? Based on the, the color of their skin, 
the language that they speak or don't speak, their, their age, their gender, their personalities, and their behaviors. In pretty much every category and criteria uh, that we humans have, we find ways to discriminate. And I think we do this even with our gospel preaching, don't we? Hasn't there been people in your life where, where you've never really considered sharing the gospel with? Uh, you know, you're sitting next to someone on the plane for the next 8, 10, 12 hours, and, and there are some people that you would open your mouth and maybe try to strike up a conversation that could lead to gospel sharing. But there are others you go, no, right? Too difficult, too different. Or maybe the people in our lives we just dislike too much, that we even hate, that we think are too far gone and beyond the grace of the gospel. There are just boundaries we just can't and we just don't cross, aren't there? For all of us, I think so, don't we? There are, there are those things that we just don't cross. God's grace isn't for them. Now, even as a church, we must be careful not to put up barriers to the gospel. Now, how do we do that? I think we put up barriers where we make people feel like they have to meet certain criteria before they are welcome at church, before they are qualified in a way to hear the word of God and belong to this community. We can make people feel uh, uh, people who are uh, not culturally like us, or who don't speak the same language and lingo as us, who don't have the same maybe educational level, uh, the same status, the same interests, or whatever point of difference, we can make people who are not like us feel like outsiders. We can make people, we can communicate to people that there is certain hoops that they've got to get jumped through, certain barriers they've got to overcome before they can really come to SLE Church. And therefore, we put up barriers, haven't we, to them hearing the word of God, the gospel of grace. Now, have we done this? I know I have. Sometimes there are certain people I, I would be more welcome to it than others. And as a pastor who's observed you guys, yes, I do watch. It's, I, I, th I think we do it, I wouldn't say all the time, but we do it, certainly we do it, don't we? Because discrimination comes so naturally to us. Now, there'll be a chance at the end of the sermon to discuss in our discussion questions as to how we do this, how we discriminate, and in a way push people out from the grace of God. But remember, God's grace knows no bounds. He doesn't discriminate, and so mustn't, we mustn't either. Now, what is the reason why God's grace knows no bounds? Well, we come to our last point. And this point could be another 40-minute sermon, but we'll say it in about five minutes, all right? Uh, what, sorry, this is meant to be the slide for the... I'm really bad at slides. Okay, now, what is the reason why God's grace knows no bounds? It is because Jesus' work knows no limits. Now, in the final part of our passage today, we see... Uh, in, in verses 36 to 48, the Gentile Pentecost. So Pentecost we saw in Acts 2 uh, for the Jews in Jerusalem. Now we see it for the Gentiles, right, in Caesarea for the Gentiles. Uh, what the Jews received in Jerusalem back in Acts 2 is what the Gentiles received here in Caesarea. Uh, Peter's sermon uh, back in uh, chapter 2, uh, sorry, here in chapter 10, uh, is pretty much the same point of purpose as the sermon he preached back in chapter 2. Uh, the Holy Spirit that, that falls at the end of this passage is the same Spirit and the same outcomes, the same Pentecost uh, that we saw back in uh, Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem. Now, Peter's message gives us really the essence, I think, of the Christian message, right, of the gospel. Uh, the message, firstly, is the good news of grace through Jesus Christ. Verse 36, isn't it? The good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ secures peace between God and sinful humanity, 
right, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, He completely and perfectly secures the forgiveness and salvation necessary for there to be peace between God and man. We see that there is no limit to the power of Jesus to save. There is no limit to the power of Jesus to save. The message is the declaration that Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. Lord of all. Not some, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, but Lord of all. And as you drove to church here this morning, as you passed by the various suburbs that you did get here, Jesus is Lord of all. Like a lot of all of them that you pass through. As you fly over uh, different states and countries on the way home, right, to Sydney or to Perth or to Singapore or to Canada or wherever you've come from, look down on your plane and see that Jesus is Lord of every person in all of those countries that you just flew over. Pull up a map of the world. Lord of all. Lord of all. There is no limit to whom Jesus is Lord of over. The message is the testimony that Jesus is the one, verse 42, who is the one appointed by the Lord, by God, to be the judge of the living and the dead. Now, there's no other category you can belong to, can you? It's living or the dead. There's no such thing as zombies. It's just in the movies, right? You're either living or you're dead. All have Jesus as judge. Those who are still alive when he returns and those who will be raised from the dead when he returns. There is no limit to whom Jesus will be judged over, will be judged of. All have to give an account. All will be judged as to whether they have feared God and trusted in Jesus. All. And so then the great message of application is this in verse 43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There is no limit to whom Jesus can forgive and save. No one is excluded. Absolutely no one. Wherever you have come from, whatever you used to believe, whoever you have been in the past, and however you have lived, you can receive the grace of God. Because God's grace knows no bounds, because Jesus' work knows no limits. See, anyone, all that anyone has to do is to fear God and trust in Jesus to receive forgiveness and salvation. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer, I'm so very glad that you are here. Right? I'm so glad that you're here. Have you come to believe, perhaps, that you're beyond saving? Maybe that's why you're not a believer yet because you, you think that you're beyond saving. Or, or maybe you've been thinking all these years that you don't need God and you don't need saving. Well, God's Word is speaking to you today. His grace knows no bounds because Jesus' work knows no limits. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is judge of all. He offers peace to all. All you need to do, if you're not a believer here today, is to believe in Him and receive forgiveness through His name. It really is that simple. And it will be the best thing you will ever do to believe in Jesus. Now, if there is something stopping you from fearing God and trusting in Jesus today, please speak to someone about it. Speak to me, speak to Steve, speak to someone who brought you. Forgiveness 
salvation, being accepted by God, being welcomed into His family, they are just wonderful things that you simply cannot miss out on. Now, for the rest of us who are believers, can I ask us, can I encourage us, can I urge us to grow in confidence, to really believe and live out that salvation, that the gospel is for everyone? Should you share the gospel? Heck yes. Absolutely. Definitely yes. Share the gospel with everyone. No one is too far out of reach. Look at the great persecutor Saul. No one is too, too bad. Look at the religious and the, the truly godly, God-fearing guy, Cornelius. Even he needed the gospel. Right? The gospel is for them. And the gospel is for us. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus is Lord of all and judge of all. Peace with God is found only in Him. Everyone needs to believe in Him. So let's share the gospel. How will that change your week today? How will that change your week if you really truly believe this? That's a great question to ask, isn't it? And discuss later on. How will this change the way we live in the coming days and weeks if we truly believe that the gospel is for everyone? Let me pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. We thank you that in this passage, we truly see a history-defining moment where we see your commitment to see the gospel go global, to see that your grace has no bounds, it knows no bounds, because the work of Jesus knows no limits. And so we pray, Father, that you would encourage us and you would comfort us and you would challenge us to bring the gospel to everyone. Help us not to see... Or help us to see that there is no one outside of your reach, that there is no one who is too far gone. Help us to see that it doesn't matter where people come from, what they used to believe, how they used to live, whoever they've been in the past, that you welcome all who fear you and trust in Jesus. If there are any here today who have not yet placed their trust in Jesus, I pray for them. I pray that your spirit will be at work to turn them to the Lord Jesus. Whatever guilt that has prevented them in the past or whatever that has caused them to deny their need for Jesus, today I pray that you will open their hearts, open their minds to come to know and trust in the Lord Jesus. For us who are believers, we give you great praise. We are Gentile believers sitting here today. And without your boundless grace, we would be lost without God and without hope in this world, now and forever. But because of your grace, we sit here, we stand here as Christians, forgiven and saved. And so we give you great praise and thanks. And we ask that you'll help us to be those who would bring the gospel to everyone around us. Help us to have courage. Help us to have conviction as we do this. For this we pray in Jesus' name.